17. And if you would like to come there and follow me with it, that would be good. Luke's Gospel, 17th chapter. And we shall begin reading uh, from verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. So it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith hath made you well. Before the founding of modern medicine and hospital care facilities, leprosy in those days was an untreatable, incurable, loathsome disease. In fact, in reality, it was a long, lingering death sentence. It brought about stigmatization, Isolation, separation from family, from friends, from acquaintances, from within your community. It brought about that horrible feeling of being rejected and not wanted. Lepers were colonized. They were set apart, usually very far away from the village where they came from. The disease itself began with something on the skin. There would be a numbness would happen. Those living cells just underneath the skin would die and it would leave a numbness. And then that would progress and spread to the extremities, hands, the feet, the legs, the head, the ears, the nose, Oftentimes the eyes, after a while, people would go blind. And this numbness would mean that if somebody scalded themselves or cut themselves or a laceration or something happened, an accident, perhaps they wouldn't be immediately aware of it and wouldn't deal with it. And then infection would set in. And once infection set in, then all kinds of problems ensued and there was all kinds of uh, deformities would develop and things would begin to happen. It was just ugly and not nice and horrible. And so it really was a, an awful, loathsome, terrible, dread disease, which eventually, in those days specifically, would end for sure in death. Now in the Bible days, the law of Moses would dictate that a leper would have to live outside the camp, as it were. 
And that he have to wear a, a cloth over his nose and over his mouth. And if he was in the close proximity of anyone, he would have to shout, Unclean! Unclean! So that people could get away. It's interesting that modern science believes, it's now called Hansen's disease, they believe that uh, a lot of it would be contagious and be contracted through uh, nasal droplets. Now in those days, of course, they didn't have medical science, but the law of Moses says, put that veil around your nose and around your, around your mouth. And throughout, Bible, throughout the Bible that leprosy has, has ever been a symbol uh, of sin. Uh, and just like leprosy, a man with leprosy is infected with an untreatable, incurable terminal disease, uh, sin likewise, in the natural run of things, is untreatable, it's incurable, and it is terminal. In Adam, all die. Leprosy also stigmatizes and sin stigmatizes. It separates. It causes separation uh, in families between a husband and a wife, between children and parents, between friends and neighbors, and even communities, and even a whole nation. Sin has a tendency to do that. And what begins with a small, hardly noticeable thing begins to spread rapidly. And sin also is like that. And what begins in sin in somebody's life begins almost hardly noticeable, but then it takes hold. And then after a while, you cannot help but notice the ravages of sin. Oftentimes, you look at somebody's face, and the very ravages of sin are in, is on their face. It causes men to become desensitized and impervious to pain and to hurt and to feeling. And sin also often does that. You know, we watch our news and we saw the terrible death of that young policeman just this weekend and, and you think, so how could anybody, how could anybody do that and actually gloat over it? You, you wonder where the feeling is. But that's what sin does. Leprosy was also contagious. It could be passed by nasal droplets, it could be passed by running sores, People did their best to avoid anybody with it. And sin is contagious. Sin begets sin, doesn't it? And so, there are many similarities between leprosy and the Bible, and you can see why it's ever a, sign, a symbol of sin. You can see that in the Old Testament especially. And only God could affect a cure for it. It's interesting also that in the New Testament, with very few exceptions, the portion we read is one of them, but with very few exceptions it says that Jesus healed the sick, but he cleansed the lepers. And to the Jew, by the way, they felt it was the stroke of God, they called it. Uh, that if someone was stricken with leprosy, usually it was because God was displeased with them. That's what they thought. So it was a horrible, terrible thing. In fact, 
in the thousands of years of Old Testament history, only three people ever were healed of leprosy. Moses and Miriam, his sister, and that great Syrian general Nahum. That's all. And all those thousands of years of history. <clears throat> but here in Luke 17, ten lepers approach Jesus and they're wanting to be cleansed. It would seem that nine of them were Jews and one was a Samaritan. Now we know that the Jews didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. We know that there was tremendous hostility and animosity between the two. But whenever they were smitten with leprosy, none of that mattered. They were walking dead men. And all of those things that separated them normally in their life, all those religious things and cultural things and racial things, didn't mean a thing. Because they all were smitten with the same thing and they're all going to die eventually. And so they come to Jesus. And the first thing we see in verse 12 is that they stood afar off. 100 paces was the customary distance. They stood afar off. In the Old Testament, there was always a gulf between sinful man and a holy God. And God forever reminded them of the gulf. And that is why man could not approach God in any fashion he desired. He had to approach God through certain prescribed ways. There had to be sacrifice, there was ritual, there was ceremony, there was priests, there was a temple. <laughs> had to be on certain days, at certain times. And all of this was to show that there was a great gulf between God and man. And access to God was limited, and it was limited to God's way in God's time. So man just couldn't come into the presence of God when he fancied by and large, with very few exceptions, they had to come the way that God prescribed. Thank God for Jesus. Now that He has come, all of those Old Testament, the sacrifices, the rituals, the rites, the ceremony, the priesthood, the intermediaries, all of those things, the holy days, the feast days, all of them has been fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now He is the way, isn't He? He said, I am the way. In Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us. Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. but they stood afar off. Thank God we don't have to stand afar off anymore because of our sin. That we can come to the one who can deal with our sin, who can cleanse our sin, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then next thing, verse 13, it says, they lifted up their voices. Now you see, one of the side effects of leprosy was was the loss of voice. Voice would become weak because the, 
The muscles in the larynx would be afflicted also eventually. So one of the side effects was that they'd have weak voices. And standing a hundred paces away with a crowd around Jesus and a lot of talking going on and a lot of hubbub around him, they really had to strain. They really had to make the effort. This was a big effort to be heard above all of the noise and the din. And so they lifted up their voices and they shouted. This shows that they were serious, that they absolutely meant what they said. Weren't playing games here. This was absolutely vital for these men that they get through to Christ, that he hears their cry. Whenever men call upon God, they've got to be serious about it. Not half-hearted. Not I'll take it or leave it. Not well, I'll just try this and see. Because sometimes that's what happens. You know, people come to God in a half-hearted, hazarded way and come just in a kind of flippant way. And then they say, well, you see, I prayed the sinner's prayer, but it didn't work. I'm just the same. Nothing's changed. Well, you got a question, did you really try? Did you really lift your voice? Were you really serious? Were you genuine? Were you earnest? Because we are, he hears. And he answers. And so they lifted up their voices. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Hmm. They knew he could do it, but would he do it? They knew he had the might, but did he have the mercy? They knew he had the cure, but did he have the compassion? That was the question, wasn't it? Remember in Matthew 8 where the one leper came to Jesus. Remember the question he asked the Lord? He says, Lord, if you will, you can cleanse me. I've no doubt you can do it. I've no doubt you got the cure, but you've got the compassion. You've got the might, but you have the mercy. Do you want to do it? What did Jesus answer him? I will. Emphatic. I will. Just so you're no doubt about it. Yes, I want to. I will. And so, have mercy on us. Even though they were bold in their approach, and even though they were believing that he had the power to do it, but at this point, they didn't feel they dare presume that he wanted to do it. That's why they says, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us. That's all we're asking. Just have mercy. It's a nice way to approach God, isn't it? Have mercy. Remember the one in the temple? That old Pharisee stood over there and he thanked God he wasn't like other men. He tithed. He paid his dues. He went to church. Not like that old rascal over there. Not like that sinner. And remember what the man said? Didn't even lift up his head. He just bowed his head. He says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. <laughs> it's a good way to approach God, isn't it? 
even for us as believers, is a good way to approach God. Because we need His mercy continually. Then in verse 14, verse 14, it says, And when He saw them. Now, this is more than just stating the obvious. Do you ever go down the street and you see a beggar sitting begging? What do you see? What do I see? What do you see? You see a beggar begging. 99 times out of 100 we walk past, don't we? It's a beggar begging. But when Jesus said he saw them, it's more than just stating the obvious. He saw their state. He saw their stigmatization, their isolation, their separation. He saw that haunting look in their eyes where they just felt they were the very dregs of society. Uh, they were just rejected and, rejected and, and just despised by people and, and, and avoided by everyone. He, he saw that. That's what he saw. And perhaps in that moment, being God, perhaps he saw what they used to be and, and what they could have been, but he sees what they are right now. And so when it says he saw them, it's implying that he had compassion on them. He felt their hurt and their pain and their sorrow. He looked into their eyes and, and he saw that look, that haunted, desperate look of humanity. People that had been born and made in the very image of God. And now they're deformed and they're broken and rejected and despised and Feared and dreaded. If we could only see through the eyes of Jesus, if we could only see like the Master saw, maybe we'd see people differently. Maybe we'd have more compassion. Then while he's looking at them and they're looking at him, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now this was according to the law of Moses. If you were to read Leviticus 13 and 14, you would see that God had laid down a law that it was the priest, part of his function, if somebody came to him who maybe thought they had possibly leprosy, it was the priest who was to check it out. And what often they would do is they would separate them and maybe quarantine them for several days and say, look, come back in seven days and I'll check you again and see if it has gone or is still there, has got worse. And then it would be the priest who would declare you're either clean or unclean. It would be the priest who would interpret the law and, and tell you what you had to do and where you had to go. And so there'd be various inspections and rituals and stuff that had to be done. Too much to go into. You can read it in Leviticus 13 and 14. There's a lot of detail in that. So this was for the announcing of the leper, whether he was clean or unclean. But this was also, on Jesus' part, 
a test for these ten men. Notice there was no physical touch by the master. Not like in Matthew 8 where the one leper came to him. He said, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. He said, I will. And he put forth his hand and he touched him. But he didn't touch these ones. So he was testing them. With Jesus, one size doesn't fit all. And he treats us all differently. And often he treats us in different ways. Two people can have the same problem and he would look at it in two different, treat them in two different ways depending where we are and our walk of faith. And he was going to test these people's faith. And the Lord does it differently with us. It's for a reason. Simply, in their case, it was just to see if they would take him at his word. Because that's all they had. Because at that moment, nothing changed. He didn't come over and touch them. All they had was his word. That's all they had. Now, of course, when he said, go your show, show yourselves to the priest, they knew what that implied. It implied that they were going to be well. But that's all they had. Just his word on it. But fair play to them. They believed his word. In verse 14 it says, And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. In Matthew 8, Jesus put out his hand and he touched that one leper and he said, I will. And immediately it says, he was cleansed. Instantly. But with these ten, it's gradual. I don't think gradual in the sense that as they, as they walked, that it was an ear first, and then it was a hand, and then it was a foot, and then it was a nose, and then it was one eye. I don't think it was gradual in that sense. But somewhere between where Jesus was and where the temple was, however long that was, however much that distance between them, somewhere along that journey, they were cleansed. Hmm. All they had to start out on was His Word. That's all they had. And His Word implied, when you go to the priest, you'll be cleansed. That's all they, that's all they had. But as they went, they were cleansed. I, w I wonder what their thoughts were as they started out in that journey. I wonder, did they, <laughs> I wonder, did they think to themselves, you know, when's it going to happen? Do you, do you think it'll be that moment when we, when we walk into the temple? Or I wonder, did they look at themselves? I wonder, did they ask each other, hey, What's my face like? Is it, is it, do they see any change in me? I wonder, do they pinch themselves? See if any feeling had come back? Wouldn't you be curious if it was you? I think I'd be curious. So here's the tunnel walking along. Maybe pinching themselves, looking at them, feeling themselves, wondering, when's it going to happen? And then when it did happen, when suddenly it happened, I wonder how they reacted. Did they rejoice? Did they jump up and down with excitement? Did they clap their hands? Did they shout a lot? Or were they 
almost dumbstruck. I mean, this is awesome. This, this is the biggest thing that ever happened to them in their entire lives. This is a mighty miracle of Almighty God. Surely there was some kind of reaction or response somehow. Maybe they all had a different response and reaction because we're all different. But eventually, eventually they got to the priests. In verse 15 it says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now we can only assume that all ten of them went the whole way to the priest because that was the law. And only the priest, no matter what they thought or what they felt or what they saw, only the priest could verify and pronounce that they were cleansed, that they would have the right to go back into society again. Only the priest could do that. They couldn't take it upon themselves to do that. So we have to conclude that all of them went and got to the priest. And when they did, at that point, only one made the journey back. Only one returned. Isn't that amazing? That out of the ten of them, only one, one out of ten, that's pretty low, isn't it? Just ten percent. Only one return to give glory to God. Let's look and see how he did this. First of all, he was thoughtful. He came back. Do you know the word think and thank is from the same root? Did you know that? And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because the more thoughtful you are, the more thankful you are. The more thoughtful we are of the blessings of God in our life, the more we think about them, the more we thank God for them. And so this man was thoughtful. He looked at himself and he thought, this is wonderful. Glory to God. Jesus did this. I'm going to go back and glorify God. I, I'm, I'm going to go back and, and honor God for this. Because he was thinking about it. He was thoughtful. And that made him thankful. How thoughtful are we about God's blessings? How thankful are we? Our thankfulness will be in to the measure of our thoughtfulness. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that if the constellations only appeared every 1,000 years, everybody would be very excited about it, wouldn't they? Because they're there every night. 99 people out of 100 doesn't even look up and see them. And often it can be that way with the blessing of God in our lives. Let me prove that to you. Do you thank God for your health? Because boy, do we ever take that for granted. As soon as we lose it, suddenly everything changes. 
And boy, we notice it then, don't we? But do we ever stop and thank him for it when we have it, when it's good? Or when you're blessed in certain ways, do you stop and think about it and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for that blessing. Lord, I thank you for the health and strength you gave me. I thank you for the job you gave me, for the children you gave me, for the position I'm in, blah, blah, blah. You can go on and go on. Just thank and thank and thank. Count your many blessings, the little song says. <laughs> Count them one by one, and it will surprise you what? What the Lord has done. And so he was thoughtful. He was thankful. He glorified God with a loud voice. Did you notice that? He got his voice back. And when he got his voice back, he's going to make sure I'm going to praise God with his voice. And he didn't care who heard him. And he didn't care who saw him. He had much to be thankful for. And so he praised God with a loud voice. Something good about that, isn't there? Now I know that we can't go through our whole work day shouting hallelujah at the top of our voice. Otherwise they might lock you up. But it's good to praise God with a loud voice, isn't it? And that's exactly what he did. So he was thoughtful, he came back, he was thankful, he glorified God with a loud voice, and he was touched. He was deeply touched because he fell on his face before Jesus. He was deeply touched. Not just enough to go back, not just enough to vocalize it, but to actually fall on his face before the Master. In front of all of those people, he didn't care. If anybody should have come back and fell at Jesus' feet, it should have been the nine Jews, shouldn't it? They keep saying he was a Samaritan. Maybe the least one you would expect. If this had been a story with a nine come back and one didn't, they would have said, Aha, there you see, that's those old Samaritans. Thankless crew they are. But no, it was the Jews. It was the ones who felt they had all of the truth. The ones who felt that they were God's special people. The one who believed they were the chosen ones. The ones that God favored, the apple of God's eye. But not a one of them came back. But this Samaritan did. I'm sure sometime God expects thanks from people who doesn't give it and he gets it from people he wouldn't expect to give it. I wonder, I, I can't say for sure, I'm not certainly not going to make a doctrine out of it, but I wonder, I wonder is it only 10% of people, of God's people that give him thanks? I wonder is only 10% of us here tonight actually gives God thanks. See, God loves thanksgiving. He loves an attitude of gratitude. He loves us to praise Him and glorify Him and thank Him for who He is and for what He's done. 
But perhaps that's rarer than we think. Maybe that's God why God loves it so much, because it's maybe rarer than we imagine. So Jesus answered and said, Were not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Where are the nine? Good question. Where are they? Why didn't the other nine return? All of them got a miracle, the same. All of them were cleansed. All of them had a life-changing moment. All of them felt the power of God and seen the glory of God in their lives. All of them. So where are the nine? What possible excuses could they have for not returning to give thanks? Over the years, I have often seen God save. I've heard so many reports of God doing this and that in the other people's lives, got saved, got healed, got restored, got blessed, got promoted, got a job, got this, got that, got the other. And do you know what? I haven't heard of them since. Don't know where they are. You would have thought those people would have been the ones that would have been in the house of God giving thanks, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? But no. Need has been met. Panic's over. Crisis is over. Let's get back to doing our own thing. I wonder about these nine. Maybe one of them went back to his business. Business is tough, isn't it? It's very demanding. It takes a lot of time and energy, sweat. takes up a big chunk of your day, your evenings. And so maybe one of them was, was keen to get back to their business because for a long time now, the business had suffered. Maybe, in fact, had died. And they had to revive it. So they're keen to get back to their business. Needs attention right away. We'll go to church whenever we get the business up and going again. We'll be thankful then. Maybe another returned to his wife and children. And you couldn't blame somebody for that. Mr. Dear Wife and their little children. And so they go back. After all, family time is important, isn't it? We'd all agree with that. The trouble is, oftentimes family time overrides everything else. More important than going to the house, going to the house of God too much. You see, I've got family time. Boy, I've heard that over the years so many times. I said, well, have family time in the house of the Lord. That's a good place to have family time. Better having family time in the house of the Lord than having family time sitting watching Coronation Street. Excuse me, but I... I look at all the kids in here that their parents has brought them to the house of God morning, noon, and night, and let me tell you, they are blessed for it. They are absolutely blessed for it. Maybe another decided, well, I'll go and look out my old mates. Uh, it's a long, long time since I socialized. 
None of my mates could bother with me because it was this disease thing. It just, I, just, I just couldn't get out. Uh, and now that I'm well again, I, I, I really want to go and socialize. And, and maybe my mates, and, and we'll go and see a movie or we'll go to a game or, or we'll have a, a nice meal out in that lovely restaurant or we'll go to McDonald's. Anywhere but the prayer meeting to give God thanks. <laughs> Say, David, you're having a bit of a rant tonight. Well, I have a right to because it maddens me, quite frankly. People should be giving God thanks more than they are. Or maybe, maybe the priest, when they got to the priest, and, and the priest asked them, well, what happened? They said, well, it was Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, he, he just told us to come to you, and, and as we were coming, suddenly we were cleansed. And maybe that old priest says, you know, we don't really agree with Jesus. Yeah, that's a bit of a cult. Yeah, I wouldn't get involved with those people, those, 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 uh, that sect, those Christians. I wouldn't go to the MPC because they're a strange lot down there, you know, because it's not our family religion. You know, you know we're not brought up that way. And, and, uh, <laughs> so we, didn't, we really didn't want to upset the old rabbis and the old priests and, uh, and, and, and the family traditions. And, and so, ach, no, we'll just, we'll not bother now. We'll not go. Hmm. Uh, and maybe another thought, well, you know, I really appreciate what God has done for me, but, you know, uh, you know at my age, I'm young, and, and I've got my whole life ahead of me, and, and I don't think that God would want me to, to, to fully devote myself to the things of God. Because, you know, I've got my whole future and, and my career and, and, and my education and all of those things. Surely God wouldn't expect me to devote myself completely to God, would he? <laughs> So whatever the excuses were, only one out of the ten returned to give glory to God. I've lost count of the people over the years asking God for a blessing. Lord, bless my career. Bless my business. Promote me, Lord. You know what? And God blesses them. He prospers them. He promotes them. And they pursue it at the expense of their spiritual lives. Or they ask God to bless them with children. Lord, give me children. Love to have children. And God blesses them with children. <laughs> and what happens? Sunday becomes a family day instead of the Lord's day. Or they ask God to bless them with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And God does. And then everything spiritual goes out the window. Or they say, well, God, if you prosper me, I promise if you prosper me, I will tithe. And God does, and they don't. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? I've seen it so many times. But here is this one Thankful man. Just one. And he lifted up his voice because he was helped, and he fell on his face because he was humbled. 
And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. Holy Spirit put him in here for us to learn some lessons. Know why that's there? To give us grateful and thankful hearts. That's the reason why it's there. That's the reason why the Holy Spirit highlights that. To remind us to be thankful and grateful for what he has given us. For what he has done for us and to us and in us and through us. You know, we, we all of us, without exception, we can just take all of that for granted. Especially those of us who have been saved for many, 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 many years. Just take all of that for granted. And forget to give him thanks. And say, Lord, without you I am nothing. And even if I had everything without you, I'm still nothing. And just be thankful for what he's given us. You know, I was reading a story the other day, and it was a sad story, but, you know, during the concentration camps, it was one of the prisoners who eventually got released during the war, and it was a woman, and she said that, you know, in the, in the camps, they would often get them up at dawn and get them out and stand in the yard for hours and end and they were aching and they were cold and they were tired and they were hungry it was such cruelty and he said she said i remember one time that out in the yard there was a little flower that had just poked through the cobblestones just one little flower and she says everybody must have noticed it it was the only little bright spot in the whole horrible, horrific experience of that camp. And she says, all of the hundreds, if not thousands of women that were there, whenever they had to walk past it, they all walked around it. Nobody wanted to touch it. Nobody wanted to stamp on it. They were so grateful just to see that one little flower. See, if we're deprived of something for a while then when we see it again or get it again, maybe we appreciate it all the more. What if God would deprive us of everything tonight? Maybe we'd realize just how much we have got in Christ. But He's not going to do that. He just wants us to be thankful and grateful. So will you be and will I be that one thankful person who came back Will you be one of the 10%? I want to be one of the 10%. I can't answer for the 90%. In fact, when I stand before God, I'll not even have to answer for the 90%. I'll just have to answer for me. Just me on my own. Am I thankful? I hope so. I try to be. But maybe I need to try harder. Maybe I need to think more things I can be thankful about. One lady started to write all the things that she could be thankful about. You know what she discovered? After writing down 14,000 things, she wrote a book about it, all the things she'd been thankful to God about. 14,000! <laughs> Say, David, that's a lot of things, isn't it? Well, you might be surprised how many you could thank God for if you really, really thought about it. Could you stand with me and we'll pray? Or would you help us not to be unthankful? It's not, Lord, that we deliberately be unthankful. It's just that we forget. It's just, Lord, that we, we just don't take the time to properly think 
of all that you've done for us. So Lord, would you help us to take note of your blessings, to count them one by one, and to see what the Lord has done. And then, Lord, like that man, to lift up your voice and glorify God and say, thank you, Lord, for everything that you are and for everything that you've done for me and for my household and for my family and my children. I thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to be grateful and humble and to mark your blessings daily in our lives. And that we just whisper a prayer of thanks. Should it just be, Lord, thank you. Because we know from your word that that blesses you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Lord, we have much to thank you for. We have much to be grateful for. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we don't do it. And help us to do it more frequently. That we be like the one man who came back and was thankful. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.